Hello, everybody. Josh Brown here, back for another great episode on Franchise Euphoria. Well, today's episode is brought to you by IndieFranchiseLaw.com, a leading resource in the franchise space to help you if you're considering buying a franchise, turning your business into a franchise, or growing your business through a licensing or franchise structure. So go on, check it out, IndieFranchiseLaw.com. I think you'll find a lot of valuable and free information as you continue to kind of weigh franchising and licensing and the growth of your business. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode. So on today's episode of Franchise Euphoria, I'm thrilled to have on Josh Cohen. Josh is the CEO and founder of Junk Luggers. He founded Junk Luggers out of his mom's Dodge Durango 14 years ago and has grown the company into one of the largest junk removal franchises in the country. For Josh, it's about much more, though, than just hauling junk away. He has a greater mission guiding everything they do. Their big, hairy, audacious goal is to ensure no junk collected by junk luggers enters a landfill by 2025. They are completing the process now to convert their corporation into a B Corp, meaning that while they do strive for profits, they'll also be driven by and held accountable to bettering the world. I really enjoyed this interview with Josh. Um, Obviously, there's other junk hauling companies out there, but Junk Lugger seems to really take the environment and their surroundings very seriously, and they are conducting their business and growing their business with also being extremely environmentally conscious. So hope you enjoyed this interview with Josh Cohen. Hello, Josh. Welcome to Franchise Euphoria. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, you know, there's nothing more that I love than having somebody who hauls around junk come on the show <laughs> and 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 talk about it. As you're the founder and CEO of Junk Luggers uh, franchise system, what is Junk Luggers? So we are the leader in sustainable junk removal. And what that means is while we haul away things that people no longer want or need, we go above and beyond to separate items for donations, recycling, upcycling, to avoid as many items going into landfills as possible. So that's fascinating. I didn't even so because like you know I think people have heard of you know one eight hundred junk right. I mean that's yeah. a are are they a competitor of yours or yeah yeah they're d- direct competition. Okay, <laughs> how long have you been doing this now? Uh, I've been at it since I was twenty one, so fifteen years. Uh, just hit fifteen years last week actually. Wow. So talk a little bit, because I want to talk about the entire model, sort of what you do. You already hinted a little bit at the sustainable part, which I think is a little bit of a differentiator. But what were you doing? When was the moment when you sort of came up with your mind that, wow, I think there's a great business opportunity in hauling away junk? Yeah. So, you know, I think my story, at least in terms of my career, is a little unique in that I've never really had a real job outside of this. Um, and what I mean by that is I was a junior in college. I was studying abroad in Australia and a bunch of friends and I, we were drinking boxed wine around a campfire and a friend said he made a hundred bucks hauling away his neighbor's refrigerator. And I was a poor college student at the time. I thought that was a great idea. Why couldn't I get to work doing that? And it just stuck with me. And, um, as soon as I got home, I was still living at home for the summer, printed out some flyers, my parents' computer. 21-year-old college student wants to help you haul away your junk and then bring items to Goodwill to be recycled and then the rest to the dump. And I literally just went door-to-door in my neighborhood handing them out and, and got started you know, hauling with my mom's Dodge Durango SUV. 
and that was how it all began. And where was this geographically? I was in Trumbull, Connecticut. Okay. So you're hauling it away in your mom's Durango. Yeah. And probably at some point thereafter, you thought, well, if I can get more people and get a bigger truck and have more space, then there's probably a whole lot of junk out there, a whole lot of more junk that I can move. Right. I mean, I just didn't see, think that, you know, my small corner of the world was so unique from many other parts of, of the country or the world. And I thought, if we can do this here, why can't we do this all over the place? And so what was what was your move at that point? I mean, you're a young kid, right? I mean, you're 21 years old. You're probably just excited that, man, this is great. I'm hauling around junk and I'm, people are paying me to just move stuff. At what point or how long did you do that for before you really started thinking about a business model or more of a business model? You know, I'm a hustler and a mover and a shaker, and I constantly am finding myself trying to raise the bar. And that's one of our core values at Junk Luggers. And so it seemed like at every time that we would get to, you know, servicing a new town or a new county, or I would get a new truck, or just I was just thinking about, all right, what's next? And so what we did was for about nine years, we didn't franchise right away, even though it was something early on that one of my customers had pointed out, hey, this is this is a, this could be a great franchise concept. But I wanted to get the model right. And so we spent about nine years, basically all of my 20s, um, expanding the business throughout basically the greater metro New York City area. So I had, I, I remember, you know, I'm a runner. I would run and I would constantly be thinking in my head, if we can make it here, we can make it anywhere. And that's when I had already moved to New York City. And so we launched in New York City about four years after opening. And then over the next five years, expanded throughout the suburbs of New Jersey, Long Island, and more of Connecticut and Westchester. And really, again, the goal was to get the model right, because I feel a huge sense of responsibility, even today, that if potential franchisees, franchise partners come into the business and they're going to invest um, some or all of their life savings into this, we wanted to get it right. Did you go into New York City or were you sort of in the you know Long Island, some of the out, outskirts? Um, I wanted to be in New York City also, I think, because of the energy and because I was a young guy and I wanted to meet ladies and, uh, <laughs> and just have fun. So we started in Connecticut, expanded into Westchester, New York. But from there, we went right into New York City and went at it. And there was a ton of learning curves along the way. But ultimately, I'm really, really glad we did it. It's, it's a great market for us. And we've invested a ton of time and people to build connections and, and a customer base out there. So do you have franchisees in, in New York City now? Yeah, so what I, I do, um, it's actually my brother uh, took it over. Um, what we did was when we started franchising, one of the things that I heard again and again from people who are in franchising, and Josh, you probably can relate to this too, is once you're in the franchising business, you're not in, I'm not in the junk removal business like I was before. I'm in the franchise business. And so I didn't want to have, and we had five different territories or locations open uh, nine years later. So um, I sold off four out of the five of them to other people uh, so we could focus on franchising. One of them being my brother who has been involved with the business since, since the very start and does a great job with it. Well, I think that's smart, but I can't imagine logistically a bigger nightmare than trying to do junk lugging, <laughs> junk removal in New York City. Yeah, he has a higher tolerance for pain than maybe I do. Well, I mean, but I guess if you can make it work there, you truly can make it work anywhere. Oh, yeah. We get a ton of traffic tickets. We encounter all sorts of situations and people. We sometimes have to walk up 10 flights of stairs in a very narrow hallway. Um, but we hear a lot of people who, who see our trucks and notice us around New York. 
And our goal is to become a landmark in New York City, just like a lot of the other buildings or some of the other services you see in movies. So landscape-wise, how many franchisees do you have at this point? We have 21 franchisees in about 60 markets. 60 different markets. And what's the goal for the franchise? Like, Where do you want to grow this to? What do you think the opportunity is in the U.S.? Yeah, we're excited. I think there's a huge opportunity. Um, I expect that over the next three years or so, we're going to grow by 5x, so five times where we are now. Our goal is to get to at least 100 franchise partners um, in every major market and then middle markets throughout the country in the next three years. Is it seasonal? I mean, obviously, you've got when you're around universities, if that's in your territory, that's a seasonal component. But do you find that the model is seasonal? Um, you know, I get that question a lot. And I can say that, you know, I'm in the Northeast, so I can tell you definitely during winter time, it consistently does slow down. And in some other markets, like in Florida, it, it's kind of the opposite, right? People leave areas like where I am to go down to Florida. But what is consistent is is typically around moving season, things tend to be very busy. Um, whenever someone is moving, they have junk that needs to be hauled away. We've got some great relationships with movers. Um, so yeah, in that sense, it is. And I think for a lot of contractors or service businesses, it's similar where it's feast during the winter and star. I'm sorry, feast during the summer and starve during the winter. And so we try to teach our franchise partners to, to spread it out, to save up during the summer and, and, and to pace themselves um, because that's, that's what happens. So it's an interesting market because I got to imagine, I mean, I'm just thinking myself, right? So if I'm a, if I'm a customer and I want to get rid of stuff, I really want to just, I want to get rid of it, right? I mean, I want to get rid of it. I want the people who are coming to take it to not obviously damage my house or yep. damage my other belongings. But what are some of the ways in which uh, junk luggers differentiates itself um, from its competition so that, you know, the ideal customer or the prospective customer can say, hey, I want to work with these guys? Yeah, so... There's a few different ways. And I think the first one, which I kind of hit on earlier, is that we've really set ourselves up to be the leader in sustainable junk removal. And what that means for a residential customer is that we've built it in, in the core of our, who we're, what we're about as a company, our mission, um, the people who join the company and our training. It all revolves around making sure that people's items, the stuff that they want hauled away, which may which is usually stuff they don't want anymore, um, is not just thrown in the trash if it doesn't need to be. Because just because it's now it's now junk to them, in their heads it it really isn't. And as an example, uh, we may haul away grandma's kitchen table. Right, the family sat around that kitchen table for forty years. Wouldn't it be great if that kitchen table got to live on? Um, we hauled away a piano a few weeks ago. Someone loved that piano. They taught their kids to play piano. They have a lot of memories from that. What we did was we were able to find a home for the piano. It was at a, um, a, a shelter for people who have AIDS. So they have, you know, they're really in very, in very desperate place. Um, they don't have a lot of money and they were looking for a piano when we called. And what that did was they sent us a picture later that day. Uh, one of the residents knew how to play piano the rest of the residents were gathered around and they were all singing together, right? So typically, and otherwise, that piano would have been thrown in the trash. And so that's really what we've made our mission is to find homes, new homes for items um, that were once loved as much as we can. And then is there 
I mean, when when you take something and, you know, one person's junk may be another person's treasure, right? And and you're kind of alluding at that, you know, getting getting it to places where it could be of use. But is there a business component to that too? I mean, do you guys take people's stuff and then sell it sometimes? I mean, is that another way for a franchisee to make money? Or is it just a transaction between hauling away the junk and then you you may find another place for it, but usually it's it's for a you know a worthy cause. Um, it's a good question. So I would say 90 to 95% of the items that we save are donated to other charities, whether they're large charities or, or more small and local ones. Some depends on the customer's preference. Um, we do have a growing movement within the organization called Remix Market. And what that is, is we've opened it up to our franchise partners as well as our, um, our headquarters here, where we take select items that are in donatable con- condition We'll either refurbish them and fix them up or we'll just clean them up and then we'll resell them back into the community at very discounted prices, a portion of the proceeds benefiting local charities. And while I think the business model will eventually allow our franchisees to uh, maybe earn a little bit of income from it, right now it's it's not about that. It's about really achieving our BHAG, our big, hairy, audacious goal, which is to keep 100% of reusable items out of landfills by 2025. And so what we were finding was that a lot of donation centers have started to become picky about what they take. They're very full. They don't want something because it has a scratch on it. And so we decided to take matters into our own hands and to try to save more of the items that didn't need to be thrown away. And so that's part of how we may sell certain items, but again, in order to achieve the company mission. Well, it's interesting because even on even on my podcast, on this podcast, uh, I've had, I think, you know, one or two junk removal companies. I mean, it's a very, it's a very popular and interesting concept. Everybody kind of has their own sort of twist on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you, who's the ideal franchisee that you'd be attracting? I mean, who's the ideal if you if you had the pick to say this person, this type of person, is perfect for this kind of franchise? No, I don't think there's there's one, and that's the honest answer. I'm not just trying to be political with you, <laughs> um, but I can tell you that we have a bunch of franchise partners in all different situations and backgrounds who are ideal candidates. But I can tell you some of the things that that we yeah. I mean, what are, what are similar characteristics? Yeah, that so. We all have? If they buy into the mission, if they truly care about, you know, not just being another junk removal company, but what happens to our customer stuff, their memories. It's uh, someone who wants to be involved in the community environment because we do that every single day. That's a direct benefit. And we find a lot of people who, let's say, have been in corporate America for 30 years. They want to do something that has more impact locally. We look for winners, for people who have proven results in one form or another in, in their previous career, whether it's. Uh, in sports or whether they owned another business and, and they successfully sold it. Do you have a preference though? Like, I mean, is it going to be better for you for somebody who comes to this franchise having previous business experience or previous sports experience? That's a good question. I, I think <laughs> I'm going to put you on task here. I want to, I want to see what, uh, I, I, I mean, I, the real reality is that we have examples of both being successful. Um, I think there's an easier learning curve if you owned a business before and been successful and successfully exited it. So I guess that's the short answer. But we have a turnkey system where if you follow the system and you're used to working hard to get your results, it should work for a variety of different people and backgrounds. And is it the is it the owners that are going out at the start to secure obviously the contracts and then they're they're hiring people on to do the actual removal? Or what's the what's the involvement of, of the ideal franchisee? owner operator you know ideally we do have different ways of doing it but ideally 
they um, are on a truck for a couple of months, learning the business, maybe one or, one or two other people to help them. And then they're getting off the truck primarily uh, so they can go out and build the business, build relationships, and also tackle uh, large opportunities like uh, big commercial estimates, big house cleanouts. We don't want owner operators who are just going to stay on the truck because then they're not going to be able to grow the business and really scale it like it can be. So we want people who want to be an owner of a business rather than buy a job for themselves. And, and that involves everything from business development and some sales and working with our marketing team to uh, building a great team and managing and uh, managing your finances. And we really try to put it together in a package where it's as simple as possible for somebody again to follow the plan. Do you have many um, multi-unit owners or do you have a lot of single unit operators? We have both. It's interesting. I love your, you know, if you go to junkluggers.com, yeah, I love the look of the trucks. I mean, they're very, you know, you've got the branding side of it is, uh, it definitely sticks out. <laughs> I mean, it really does. That was the goal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with the, with the bright green and all that kind of stuff. And so I imagine that when somebody gets started in the franchise, this may depend on the size of the territory, but are they required to, they're at least required to have one of the trucks or is it required that they have more than one in terms of the territorial size? If you have one territory, you're going to typically start with uh, one truck and two bodies. And we've built the trucks so that the bodies are removable. They can come off, they can go on the ground, kind of like a dumpster. Oh, really? Um, it gives ultimate flexibility. But that's cool. So you could actually, if it's a big renovation type project, I mean, that sort of expands your market a little bit, right? I mean, it's they not just... But that's, yeah, that's a really important point. I didn't even realize that. So this is, you know, you, you have folks who maybe are going through a renovation at their house and you're dropping off. It becomes like a pod essentially, right? That's in their driveway. And if they've got contractors are doing a major renovation or something like that, um, then they've got it right there. Do you then just, what, you rent those out for the period of time that they keep them? You know, we're getting to that. And I'd say it's happening a little bit more um, every month. For us, it's more profitable for us to use the bodies on junk removal jobs than to rent them out for an extended period of time. I mean, just simple math, uh, you know, in a day we could do, let's say, one to $2,000 with a truck, whereas a container, that could take a month. Yeah. So our business model is conducive to not renting them out, but if we have extras, we will do that. We like to do the labor ourselves. We make it easy on our customers. So how we will more often use it is uh, we got a, a truck full of stuff, um, and let's say the places we want to bring this stuff to are closed for the day. We'll come, we'll unload that body, we'll leave it at the warehouse, we'll uh, load up the empty one, and then we'll go to our next job so we don't keep our customer waiting. It's also very useful um, if we're trying to separate out recyclables or donations on a large job. It's great for if we have a large job and we have a very busy day, we may drop the container with a couple of, a couple of uh, team members. and They'll work, they'll, they'll load up the truck, and then we can go off with another body, another container, and go to another job in the meantime. So... In the remaining couple of minutes we have, what's something that has been a challenge on the franchise side that you've had to deal with? I mean, I'm sure there's been multiple ones, but what's what's a challenge that you've had to deal with just to making that transition to the franchise model and how did you overcome it or how are you working to overcome it? I don't think we have enough time for all of that today. <laughs> you said one, so I'll give you uh, I can tell you it's been a struggle and it's really been a ton of learning curves. Franchising is a very unique animal. And as men, and like I mentioned earlier, as, as many people who, who warned me of that, I think you have to experience it for yourself to get it. 
I'd say one of the biggest learning curves is around managing and supporting our franchise partners um, like they truly needed to be from the start. No, you know, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is that when people come into business and especially if they haven't owned a business before, there are a lot of there's a lot of things that they need to learn in order to be successful, not only tactical day to day stuff. How do I do this? How do I estimate that? But just around kind of what's going on between their two ears. And it can be really, really stressful if uh, your sales aren't where they want them to be or you're having an employee issue. And what we found is that people were feeling alone a lot, right? Because they were out in a market uh, without anybody else there. So one of the things we really learned from that was to over-support them, to have the team constantly calling them in the beginning, just checking in, as well as having structured time, making them feel like they're not alone and also make, giving them some very strong structure to fill their days um, so they're spending their time the best ways possible to grow their business. And so that probably forced you to reevaluate your team and add some more folks onto your team, right? It sure did. It was a tough, it's tough because we have people here, have had people here who are just great and in the junk removal business and running the operation, but it just found, you know, no matter how much time I spent with them, uh, it's a different set of skills and experience. And so absolutely. Well, Thanks so much for coming on. I think it's, uh, like I said, I think I, <laughs> I've i seen more and more of this in the franchise space, which I think is, is is a credit to the market and a credit to the industry, not seeing as much on the sustainable side. You know, it's definitely unique and smart. And um, if folks want to learn more about Junk Luggers, you can go to junkluggers.com. You're also on Twitter as Junk Luggers and on linkedin.com under Junk Luggers. Anything else that, that you want to add to this before we finish off, Josh? Yeah, thank you everybody for listening. And um, if, if anybody wants to ever reach out, I'm happy to share my experiences and help people you know, cut the learning curve. My email is josh at junkluggers.com. And for anybody who may be interested in exploring a franchise with us, we are growing leaps and bounds. We have a great system here, an amazing team, and we'd love to talk to you to see if this may be a good fit. Junk removal is not going anywhere. I can tell you that. People have too much junk and they are always going to need people to help. Get it's them. only getting worse, isn't it? Right. It's only getting worse. That's great for business. Well, thanks so much, Josh. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed the podcast in general, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. It really helps to get this podcast out to more and more people. So the easy way to do it is go to iTunes and in the search box, put in Franchise Euphoria. You will then see my cover art and you click on my smiling face that says Franchise Euphoria and then click on the link that says Ratings and Reviews. It's that simple, but boy, oh boy, does it mean the world to me when people leave ratings and reviews. And like I said, it really helps get the show out there. Once again, would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave a rating and review if you enjoyed this episode or other episodes of the show. And until the next time, happy franchising.